It was an evening Mary Jane Reed and Stanley Scridla were looking forward to. But their first date would end in a grisly double murder that left a small town with more questions than answers. If you enjoy these episodes, be sure to follow the series Unsolved Murders. Every Tuesday, we examine a real murder that to this day remains a mystery. Listen to Unsolved Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Mary Jane! I know you're in there! Go away, Vince. Please, just come outside. I need to see you. There, you can see me now. So, just say your piece and be on your way. Oh, come on, baby. Don't be like that. Vince! Stop it! You're hurting me! You think this hurts? This is nothing. Imagine how I feel. Hey, let her go! Stay out of this! This is between me and her! You didn't see anything, understand? Now go back to your house or I'll shoot! Go ahead. Shoot me. I'd rather be dead than be with you. This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the grisly 1948 double murder that shook the small town of Oregon, Illinois, to its core. This week, we'll meet Mary Jane Reed and Stanley Scridla, whose romance was cut short on the night of their first date. Next week, we'll dig into the police's botched murder investigation and a family member's quest for the killer. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. 100 miles west of Chicago sleeps the small riverside town of Oregon, Illinois. 
Red brick buildings and church spires peek between oak trees under the watchful gaze of a 50-foot statue of a Black Hawk Indian. In the early 1900s, Oregon was a simple, beautiful place, far removed from the chaos and crime of a larger metropolis. Many residents didn't even lock their doors at night. But there was a shadow hanging over Oregon from the beginning. In the early 1800s, local Potawatomi and Winnebago tribes were forced off their land as settlers came to claim it, leading to the Black Hawk War of 1832. In 1834, town founder John Phelps built a home and a farm in Oregon. As the settlement grew, it morphed, developing into a surprising hybrid, part artist colony, part farmland, and part industrial community. When the sun set, a different side of Oregon came out. Adultery, gambling, and drinking reigned free, and local police tended to look the other way. Soon the town became an attractive destination for gangsters like Jesse James and the Prairie Bandits. They may not have been ideal citizens, but they flooded the local economy with business. And by the turn of the 20th century, Oregon blossomed into a vibrant community. As men returned from World War I, many decided to start new lives in some of America's pastoral countryside towns. Around this time, a young man named Clifford Reed fell in love with Oregon's picturesque river and farmland, so he bought himself a modest house on Hastings Road near the east bank of the Rock River. Not long after, he met Ruth Messenger, a spirited young woman from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. The couple married, and they had their first child, Clifford Jr., around 1921. Ruth stayed home to raise the boy, while Clifford worked as a machine repairman. But by 1931, things had changed. The Reed family had grown to include three more young children. As the sole breadwinner, Clifford's meager income didn't stretch very far. The family was poor, and their house was falling apart around them. It slumped to one side like it was bowed by the weight of the world. Honey, I'm home. What's for dinner? I'm starved. Dinner? Oh, I'm sorry, Clifford. The kids have been a real handful. Lost track of the time. We don't have a lot. Might be able to swing another casserole surprise, but it's real slim pickings. Again? If you don't like it, then give me money so I can go to the grocery store. You just went. Well, Clifford, in case you haven't noticed, we've got a lot of mouths to feed. Food goes fast. But the car needs service. This roof won't last the winter. Do do you think I... Look, I'm sorry, but these kids of yours are wringing me dry, Ruth. You know, I didn't make them by myself. Ruth gave birth to her fourth child, Mary Jane Reed, on November 15, 1930. By this point, the Reed household was almost at a breaking point, but Clifford and Ruth managed to stretch what little they had. Growing up, Mary Jane wore hand-me-down clothes. She played with her siblings' old toys. But Mary Jane was a happy little girl, like a butterfly, her mother always said, and she was headstrong, independent, and ambitious. In 1939, when Mary Jane was just nine years old, a second world war was looming. Ruth was stuck caring for her four children alone, and another baby would come soon. 
the young Mary Jane stepped up to help her mother around the house. She looked after her siblings, especially her new baby brother, Warren Lee. She did everything she could to make sure he had a happy childhood and would often take him out for walks, picnics, and to church. When Mary Jane wasn't looking after her family, she taught Sunday school every weekend after Mass. She even completed a certificate program at a local Bible college as a teen, much to her family's delight. But in rare, quiet moments to herself, Mary Jane dreamed of another life. A life outside of her small town, away from her chaotic household and familial responsibilities. I'm so glad you came dress shopping with me, Mary Jane. You've got such a good eye for fashion. I just hope my husband will like it. Bernice, you could wear an old potato sack and he'd still think you were beautiful. (laughs) You're probably right. What about you? Are you still thinking about moving to Chicago after graduation? (sighs) That's the dream. But that's all it is. A dream. Why? I think you should go. Yeah, but with mom's arthritis, I don't think I'll finish school as is. She needs help with Warren. You know, I could pitch in, look after Warren from time to time, help around the house. You've got your own life to worry about. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Mary Jane secretly hoped to escape Oregon's clutches. Maybe she could find work in the city as a department store counter girl. As a teenager, she started saving up to buy some new clothes. Mary Jane's mother, Ruth, suffered from severe rheumatoid arthritis, and by the 1940s, the pain had all but incapacitated her. Clifford couldn't afford to shoulder the extra bills, so 15-year-old Mary Jane put her dreams on hold. She dropped out of high school and started looking for work. Operator, how may I direct your call? Not long after, Mary Jane found a job as a cable girl at the DeKalb Ogle Telephone Company. From 6 in the evening until 10 at night, Mary Jane sat in front of a massive blinking switchboard in an office near the county courthouse and connected calls. It was tedious work, but it kept the family afloat. Without the burden of schoolwork, Mary Jane found her late evenings unexpectedly free. So sometimes after work, she would head to the Stenhouse, a roadhouse-style restaurant, bar, and dance hall. The Stenhouse was a local favorite. Upstairs, live bands serenaded an undulating dance floor always full of tangled couples. In the basement, men drank beer and played craps or poker. Pipe smoke filled the air. For Mary Jane, the Stenhouse was an escape. It gave her a taste of the exciting big city life she'd craved. She was only 15, so she couldn't drink, but she could dance, which she did with just about everyone. Many of her dance partners were soldiers, passing through on their way home from World War II. Mary Jane was an attractive girl, and she knew it. Her wavy auburn hair and sparkling blue eyes complemented her petite frame nicely. Heads turned wherever she went. And although she allegedly had quite a few admirers and boyfriends in those days, one man in particular caught her eye. His name was Vince Varco. So... What's a pretty girl like you dancing alone? Your boyfriend ditch you? Hey, I like to dance alone. If I close my eyes, the world just falls away. It's just me and the music. (laughs) You're a strange one, you know that? Let me get you a drink. I'm not old enough. 
I promise I won't arrest you. You're a cop? Chief Deputy Sheriff, actually. The name's Vince. So, what do you say? Mm, one drink. That's it. Unfortunately, Vince Varco was trouble. He was far older than the teenage Mary Jane, and he was married. But that was the least of her worries. Vince was a notorious womanizer with a mean streak. He was rumored to abuse his wife and to manhandle the other women who fell under his spell. Vince owned a small cabin on the shores of the Rock River, which he called the Clubhouse. Although he mostly used it as a fishing retreat, it was believed that Vince might have brought his girls there. No one in town knew what went on behind closed doors up there, but those who knew Vince could guess. It's unclear what Mary Jane saw in Vince Varco. Perhaps she liked the perks that came with his influence and position. Maybe she just liked the attention. But she soon found that life with Vince was going to be violent and possibly deadly. When we come back, we'll look into Vince's increasingly erratic behavior and meet Stanley Skridla, a war hero who offered Mary Jane an escape. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story. At some point in 1947 or 1948, teenage beauty Mary Jane Reed began an on-again, off-again relationship with an older married deputy named Vince Varco. It was a rocky and often volatile romance, one that brought out the worst in Vince. Mary Jane was young, playful, and full of life. The teenager often partied at the Stenhouse, and whenever someone struck her fancy on the dance floor, she would flirt. It seemed fine to her. Vince was married, after all. If he could have his fun, then so could she. Unfortunately, Vince was a deeply possessive and jealous person. He wouldn't leave his wife, but he wanted Mary Jane all to himself. You've got some sweet moves, girl. What's your name? Mary Jane. A pleasure to meet you, Mary Jane. I'm... Hey! Get your hands off her! Whoa! Easy, pal. We're just dancing. Back off! She's mine! Vince, stop it! Leave him alone! I knew you were lying. This is who you've been taking to the movies! What? Are you having me followed? I was there with my brother Warren. He likes the cowboy pictures. Sure, whatever you say. Bet you blew through this guy's whole squadron, didn't you? Are you kidding? Drop dead! You're going to regret that, Mary Jane. Vince began driving his squad car past Mary Jane's house, paranoid that she was cheating on him. She could feel his eyes on her, no matter where she went. It exhausted her. But as unhappy as she may have felt, Mary Jane didn't leave Vince. He was an influential and powerful person around Oregon, Illinois, 
She was afraid of what might happen to her or her family if she got on Vince's bad side. But just when things started to look hopeless, Mary Jane made a new friend. Operator, how may I direct your call? Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood repairman. I'm just... Checking to make sure everything's shipshape. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Perfect. How's your day, miss? Doing all right? (sighs) As well as can be expected. It's been a rough day. I'm sorry to hear that. Do you want to talk about it? I... Well, don't you have more lines to repair? This was my last one. I've got some time to spare for a pretty girl with an aching heart. Who says I'm pretty? I can tell by the sound of your voice. It's like an angel's. I could be heinous. You'd never know. You're new, aren't you? I think I'd remember a voice like yours. Yes, ma'am. Started a couple of weeks ago. My name's Stanley. Stanley Skridla. Mary Jane. Stanley lived 25 miles away in Rockford, and his work didn't always bring him down to Oregon, but every time he visited, he called Mary Jane's switchboard to test his lines, and the pair hit it off immediately. Little by little, Stanley opened up to Mary Jane about his life. He was born on May 8, 1920, and grew up in Rockford, Illinois, with four siblings. His parents' house was situated in a multicultural immigrant neighborhood. Stanley was a skilled craftsman and liked to work with his hands. After graduation in 1938, he worked for four years as a cabinet maker. Eventually, he trained to become a machinist and worked at Madison's Machine Shop in Rockford for a year before he decided to join the war in 1943. He spent two years in the Navy overseas. When he returned home in 1945, the ribbons and medals decorating his military uniform were a testament to his honor and valor on the battlefield. But Stanley Skridla had seen more than his share of death and despair. He was ready to be home. Stanley moved back in with his widowed mother in Rockford. His father had passed away, so the burden of the house fell to him. Stanley settled for the first job he could find— working as a line repairman at the Illinois Bell Telephone Company. Mary Jane saw herself in Stanley's story, but she was fascinated by his tales of the war. To her, it seemed like Stanley had done what she couldn't. He'd broken free from his hometown and traveled the world. Suddenly, Mary Jane's old dreams and plans came back to her. Maybe Stanley was her ticket to the kind of life she always wanted. Operator, how... Good evening, Butterfly. Stanley, hi. So, are you ready to take me up on that offer? I'd love to come see you. I don't know. We hardly know each other. But we've been talking for weeks now. I feel like I know you better than anyone. Well... Well what? You like me, I like you. It's just a date, Mary Jane. It's because you're ugly, isn't it? I beg your pardon? (laughs) It must be true, because it's the only logical thing I can come up with. Well, when we do meet, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Does that mean we have a date? We have a maybe. As Mary Jane grew closer to Stanley, her relationship with Vince deteriorated. He even started to get violent. Finally, Mary Jane had had enough. 
And so, one day, Mary Jane phoned Vince and ended their relationship. Vince was the kind of man who was used to getting his way. He didn't take the news of their breakup very well. One afternoon, he drove over to her house and banged on her door with a loaded gun in his hand. (laughs) I'd rather die than be with you. You don't mean that. You love me. I haven't loved you for a while now. You were just too blind to see it. You don't mean that. If this is about my wife, I'll leave her. I mean it this time. We could move into the clubhouse, fish off the river, us against the world. You're not listening to me. I'm done, Vince. I can't do this anymore. Nothing is going to fix this. Go home to your wife. (sighs) This is all because of that soldier, isn't it? Back at the Stenhouse. You're sweet on him, aren't you? Goodbye, Vince. That night, Mary Jane left for her work shift feeling light as a feather. She immediately phoned Stanley to tell him the news. After weeks of phone conversations, the pair agreed to meet the next day for their very first date. Coming up, we'll follow Mary Jane and Stanley Skridla on their first date. Until it ends in death on Lover's Lane. And now, back to our story. On the morning of June 24, 1948, 17-year-old Mary Jane Reed excitedly prepped for her first date at home in Oregon, Illinois. She pawed through her closet to find the perfect outfit before she eventually settled on a cream blouse and slacks combo. The colors complemented her auburn hair and blue eyes, and the clothes hugged her slight frame. Meanwhile, 25 miles away in Rockford, 28-year-old Stanley Skridla oiled his hair and polished his Buick, counting down the hours until he'd finally get to meet Mary Jane in the flesh. At 8.30 that evening, Mary Jane called from work to confirm their plans. He would meet her outside her office when she got off at 10. From there, they'd hit some local taverns and see where the night took them. Stanley hopped in his Buick and drove the 25 miles from Rockford to Oregon. He was nervous. He and Mary Jane had built a close relationship over the phone. But would they have that same undeniable chemistry in person? He'd have to wait until 10 p.m. to find out. Evening, Butterfly. Stanley! Look at you! I can't believe you're really here. Feels like I'm dreaming. You look so beautiful. You weren't waiting long, I hope. Mildred caught me out at the lockers. Not at all. What do you have in store for us tonight? Well, we could try the log cabin first. Lead the way. (laughs) I just can't believe this is really happening. At around 10.30 p.m., Mary Jane and Stanley arrived at Alexander's Log Cabin Inn, a small bar just east of the Rock River. It was a quiet, craftsman-style lounge, a far cry from the loud hustle and bustle of the Stenhouse. Most nights, it would have been a relaxing place to start the evening, but when Mary Jane walked through the doors, she realized her mistake. Oh, no. He's here. Who's here? My ex. The one at the end of the bar. It's a long story. Hmm. Do we like him? 
this X? God, no. Well then, I say we put on a little show for him. Stanley! Oh, look at him scowl. Maybe we should leave. We can't let him ruin our night. What's the worst he can do? Mary Jane and Stanley stayed at the log cabin inn for about an hour. Vince drank at the end of the bar and watched the couple the whole time. We can't be sure what happened in the log cabin or why Mary Jane didn't turn around and leave right when she saw Vince. She may have wanted to rub Stanley in his face or just prove that she wasn't afraid of him anymore. Stanley and Mary Jane left the log cabin inn at around 11.30 that night. Some sources say they bumped into another couple on the sidewalk. It's unclear who this mystery couple was, but many suspect that it was Vince and his wife. You lying. I knew it. How long has this been going on? Whoa, take it easy, buddy. We're just trying to have a nice night. We don't want any trouble. You've been asking for trouble since the moment you stepped foot in my bar. Your bar? Do you own all of Oregon now? As far as you're concerned, yeah. So take your trash back to Sandtown where you belong. Go to hell. Come on, Mary Jane. Let's just go. Mary Jane and Stanley quickly headed to the Stenhouse to go dancing. Mary Jane usually spent hours on the Stenhouse dance floor, but that night, she and Stanley left after only 30 minutes. Something, or someone, must have been bothering them. The pair headed over to Country Farm Road, a local lover's lane. Mary Jane smoked a cigarette in the passenger seat while she and Stanley talked, perhaps about her encounter with Vince earlier at the log cabin inn. Then suddenly a fuse blew in the electric grid. All the streetlights on Country Farm Road went out. Everything was thrown into darkness. <gasps> what was that? It's so dark all of a sudden. Looks like the streetlights shorted. That's strange. Here. Maybe we should go, Stanley. I'm getting a really bad feeling. Aw, are you afraid of the dark? I'm serious, Stanley. We should go. All right, all right. Just when things were getting good. Get out of the car, now! Who's that? <gasps> Stanley, he has a gun! Move! What do you want? My car? My wallet? You can have them, here. Take the keys. Just please, let me and my date go in peace. I don't want your car. I want your head. My what? Stanley! According to the coroner's report, one or two men approached Stanley's car that night and pulled him from the vehicle at gunpoint. Stanley held his hands up in surrender, but it didn't stop his assailant. The killer shot Stanley five times, once in the chest and four times in the abdomen, all while Mary Jane watched, terrified. Stanley collapsed in the middle of the gravel road, blood pouring out. The killer took his wallet and keys, then grabbed him by the legs and dragged his body around the front of the car. Stanley lost one of his shoes in the process. The killer threw Stanley's body face down into a ditch on the side of Lover's Lane. Then, the man pulled out a can of gasoline. He poured it over Stanley's head, and finally, when that was done... 
he lit Mary Jane's date on fire. Stanley! Get back in the car. Please, just let me go. I won't say anything, I swear. That's right, you won't. The killer took Mary Jane and drove off in Stanley's Buick as Stanley's burning body threw flickering shadows across Lover's Lane. By the time police discovered Stanley's charred remains in the ditch, Mary Jane was nowhere to be found. Over the next few days, the town of Oregon kicked off a countywide search for the missing girl. But when they found her, it was already too late. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Mary Jane Reed and Stanley Scridla. Next episode, we'll follow the Ogle County murder investigation as it struggles to piece together Stanley's final moments and uncover what happened to Mary Jane Reed. We'll also introduce an unlikely ally who's still fighting for the truth about the murder over 70 years later. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Tracy Nicoletti, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Laura Faye Smith, Joe Hernandez, KG Tang, and Tom Bauer. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 